I remember having terrible nightmares the night I returned home. I replayed everything that happened on October 20th. Stop it, Mr. Ngozi, I screamed. Wake up, Susan, wake up. Why are you screaming, my dear child? I'm here now, daughter. She whispered softly. You have to forget what Mr. Ngozi did to you. Now that your virginity is gone, he says he loves you. You should learn to love him. How is it possible to love someone after they hurt you? I hate him. I could not finish my sentence. And a strained silence fell between us. Suddenly, my mom's voice was pregnant with anxiety when she asked me, When was the last time you had your period? I don't remember, but it has been a while. My mother looked stressed and her voice was shaky. If you are pregnant, you definitely have to marry him, Sue. We cannot let the devil ruin everything we worked for. I'm not marrying him. I love Bill. Forget about Bill. You will marry Mr. Ngozi. This is an excerpt from the story A New Hope by Tinevimbo Shitando. Hello there, and welcome to our podcast, Africa to the World. I am Yvonne. And I am Shamiso. And we are your hosts. Today's episode is titled, Hunu, Christianity and the Illusion of Perfection. At this point, Yvonne, I'd love it if we could take a step back and just reflect on the excerpt. Tell me, what's going on in your mind as you're listening to this? Whew. In my mind, I was just thinking about all the young people who've found themselves being forced in one way or another into child marriage or taking other extreme measures um, in the face of teen pregnancy just to give the illusion that everything is okay, everything is normal. So this is not something that is new within our Zimbabwean context, um, sadly. And this is something that I found out as I did research on, on child marriage. There are so many children out there who have gotten raped and still been sent into marriage with the people who are responsible for that. So that's it's a really sad reality that we're living with. From the title itself, as well as the excerpt, I'm sure people can sense that this topic may ruffle some feathers. However, we do hope people can approach this with an open mind and stick with us throughout the episode. So in this episode, we're going to look at Hunu, Christianity, and the illusion of perfection in the context of teenage pregnancies and the way that families, society, and the church respond to such cases. Yvonne, you had the opportunity to actually read this and really um, take in the words as you were saying them out. What were you thinking and how did you feel as you read that excerpt? Phew. To me, so it's, it cut deep with me because I felt like I was Sue. I felt her pain and I felt her anger that she's being forced to marry a guy who violated her. She's not pregnant because she wanted to. 
but because of some men who couldn't keep it in his pants. So I felt the emotion and I could see the anger and I could see how scared she was, how traumatizing this experience was for her. And in the whole process, I felt like she was not being seen. What was being seen mm. was the result of what had happened to her, but not her. No one chose to see her. Even her own mom was seeking to rush to the solution and not to see her. So that cut deep with me. Yeah. But to kickstart our conversation right now, I want us to look, take a look at a bit of statistics so that we can understand how crucial this conversation is, particularly in the context of COVID-19. So looking at the stats in South Africa, it has been reported that uh, there was a 60% increase in the rate of teenage pregnancies between April 2020 and March 2021, which was the first year of COVID-19 pandemic in the country. During this period, 23,000 girls under the age of 18 gave birth, with 934 of these girls being between the age of 10 to 14. Meanwhile, in neighboring Zimbabwe, the first COVID-19 lockdown of 2021 saw around 5,000 girls in the country falling pregnant, with 1,800 going a step further and engaging in child marriage. So this was in the space of a month or two. And these increasing cases of pregnancy are not just because young people were out of school, they were unoccupied, had a lot of time on their hands, but also because girls were in close proximity to those who actually abused them. So this led to abusers getting more opportunities to take advantage of girls that are supposedly or girls that are supposed to be in their care. And in some instances, that this led to the pregnancies. So in such times, it becomes even more important to address how we as a people deal with issues around teenage sexual and reproductive health. And it is really sad that parents find it difficult to discuss issues around sex education. Even the church as well. Most of the churches are against these types of teachings, fearing that it will encourage early sexual debut amongst the teens. Sadly, this silence around sex is what is truly harmful, leading to the attempts of preservation of the illusion of perfection after a child falls pregnant. What this looks like is a family hiding the girl's pregnancy or shunning her, sending her off to rural areas or to a person who has impregnated her even if the sexual experience was not consensual. As Africa to the world, we believe that there's a better way to handle these situations. So our proposed method involves parents acknowledging the imperfections that come with being human, preparing children for the potential challenges and failures they encounter, and also reassuring them that even with these imperfections, they are worthy of love, they are worthy of belonging, and in the words of Brene Brown, children are hardwired for struggle before they even get here. And the parent's job is not to tell them they are perfect or expect them to live perfect lives. We believe that it is this type of thinking that brings about healing and love to girls who find themselves caught up in these, in these situations. 
This is sobering, Shemiso. The illusion that our children live in a perfect world highlights the importance of preparing them from the early formative years, from primary school, high school, all the way through into university. What are your thoughts on this aspect, preparing a child for unexpected realities that they might or might not face? I think that's essential. Um, having these types of conversations creates a space where young people are reassured that their parents tried to prepare them as best as they could. And if the conversation was handled well, in my opinion, uh, meaning the conversation isn't just about giving the young person a list of rules, giving them uh, all these warnings without any room for questions, which is usually how these conversations how these conversations happen but if it happens in a different way if the child then finds themselves in a tricky situation after having had these these very open conversations then it becomes easier to go back to the parent and reopen the conversation so they can get help instead of running away and trying to hide it trying to fix the situation they have created by themselves that's true Looking at the issues of sex and teen pregnancy in particular, can you tell us how the concept of Hunu ties in with all this? Okay, so in the first episode when we spoke about Hunu, we spoke about interconnectedness, care, harmony, um, hospitality and respect. This, however, is not the only angle from which Hunu can be conceptualized. So on the other side of the coin, we also understand Hunu with regards to good ethics. So we're talking about having good morals, upholding cultural standards, upholding the expectations and the values that are said to form part of the African or the Zimbabwean identity. And this part of Hunu is the one that Zimbabweans are actually most familiar with. So I'm sure we've all heard um, or even said this statement in one form or another. And it's statements like this that become problematic because when we look at Hunu in the context of the expectations that are placed on young people as far as sexual activities are concerned, we find that possessing Hunu is equated to not engaging in premarital sex. And the funny thing is this is mostly pinned onto women. So when we speak of sex and we speak of Hunu, Together, the spotlight is always placed on the woman. Is she able to preserve herself for marriage? Is she able to deny sexual advances from men? And if the answer turns out to be no, because the world can now see evidence of this in the form of pregnancy, then this person immediately becomes the black sheep. They immediately become a disgrace on the family who was then said to have evidently failed to bring up their child well. And so when young people find themselves in such situations, the solution becomes abortion or suicide or early marriage, all in the name of preserving the family name. And this is not me just saying this because, you know, I've pulled it out of my head. I've done research that has proven that pregnancy leads to early marriage. I've read studies and newspaper articles from Zimbabwe where there was one teenage, one uh, university student actually who fell pregnant in her second year 
what does she do instead of approaching her caregiver? I think it was her uncle that she stayed with. She jumped in front of a train and that was it. And there are many others um, that I spoke to as well during my studies who contemplated abortion or attempted it and failed simply because they're trying to preserve the family name. But is raising children really about perfection? Is it about hiding our flaws? Going to such extremes so that on the outside, everything looks perfect. In my opinion, this is a pitiful way to live and we need to do better. Even some of our parents got married to hide their pregnancies and they know this pain and yet they still place the same expectations upon us as well as young people. And it's just absolutely crazy. Shami, this is so heart-wrenching. Um, just listening to that story you gave us now that a second-year student jumped in front of a train taking her own life because she could not face the shame of going back to a family because she was pregnant. It is, it is so disturbing that how, how we as a society, a community, and a people have forgotten what it means to love, have forgotten what it means to reach out and care beyond someone's mistakes. And I see that this is a big aspect of our lives as Zimbabweans, but not just as Zimbabweans, but as many African countries as well. These are not indeed just stories that we hear about people, but this is reality. This is life, and it's happening all around us. And we have Dr. Shami in the house, who in fact studied child marriage in Zimbabwe. She's in the process of turning her thesis into a semi-fictional book on child marriage with the help of aspiring young writers. The book is titled Married Too Soon, Stories from Our Daughters. We've already read an ex excerpt from that book, and we are now going to share another one as we go deeper into this discussion around the studies that she has conducted around youth sexuality and child marriage. So this excerpt is titled, The First Cut Runs Deepest by Vimbiso Lembewu. It felt just like yesterday when Sally stood in front of her parents, her mouth dry, with shame and a chest aching with the weight of fear as she told them, Mama, Baba, I am pregnant. The recollection of the room being captured by a cold silence and the image of shock pouring into the parents' faces and receding in the wake of cold anger while she stood there in ramrod erectness is still fresh. Oh, so thick was the tension and the anger in that room that you could cut it with a knife. Sally could never forget the singularity of their fixed looks, focused mainly on the circumference of her abdomen. They had an intense look of disbelief and rage working on their faces as their words died away on their tongues. It took Sally's parents a while to come back to their senses, and once they did, they hastily strategized a way forward. Sally's father, Van Drovo, now deceased, had been a man greatly respected in the community and had worked very hard over several years to earn the community's respect. There was no way he would have let his daughter tarnish his reputation in a matter of months. 
Her father knew that the only way his daughter's pregnancy would be approved by society was if she was married. With that, Van Lofu called Tindekai's parents, who were just as eager to settle the matter as he was. Tindekai's parents paid Lobora bride price. Shamiso, as you were writing and going through the experience with these young women and their stories, Tell me what was going on in your mind and what was the experience like for you? The experience for me um, was quite heartbreaking for a lot of the stories that I heard from these girls because in most of the instances, it just seemed like there was a lack of love. There was a lot of callousness where people are more are more concerned about what their lives look like on the outside than the children they've given birth to. It just absolutely blows my mind. I cannot understand how someone would put something like a reputation, um, be it in the community or in the church, over their own child, essentially, in a way, throwing their their child to the wolves just to save a reputation. And I remember in the case of this actual story, in my thesis, she then moved from her family home, Sally, that is, moved from her family home, where they were a bit more well-off compared to the boy that she then got married to. And it was such a shocking difference to the life that she was used to. Now in her pregnant state, the mother-in-law was abusing her. She had to go out and forage for vegetables and all sorts of things in the bush because this was Kumosha. Um, she had to go out and find this food. She's pregnant. She's going to carry wood. They're living in this little mud hut. <sighs> yeah, I, and, and her family still didn't step in. They knew all this. They knew the life that she moved to, but they didn't step in simply because it's better for a child to be pregnant and married than to just be a pregnant child. Yvonne, how do you feel about this type of situation? where the church, um, the community, the family seem to all sort of be working together to preserve this illusion of perfection within the Zimbabwean or African society. Because it's not just one cluster. They're all working together and reinforcing these ideals around sexual purity and around what it means when you fall. Shamiso, my heart's racing, not racing that I'm excited, but it's racing because I feel her pain. I didn't walk in her shoes, right? But I feel her pain. And by you explaining um, and telling us a background, brief, brief background of what happened after, I'm just like, where is the love, right? What has become of our societies? What has become of our families? What happened to preserving and protecting your children? What happened to that? 
what happened to that? And it's so disturbing how then families turn their backs against these young girls who are in desperate need of nothing but love and a supportive place, a place where they can be accepted and welcomed. It's so disturbing that we are so concerned about society. What happened to embracing our children where they need us the most? Do we not all make mistakes? We are so concerned with the illusion of showing a picture-perfect family that has no flaws. And we want to show in society. Like, are not allowed. If they cross the line, they shall be punished. For me, this is a punishment. For me, this is a punishment because the family could have embraced Sally and taken care of their grandchild. So what happened to a people being vulnerable and understanding that we live through imperfections and that even Takagara in our society, right? We still have imperfections, but we can still find a definition of wunu in that context that can still preserve the dignity of a girl child. How we respond to teenage pregnancy as a collective is pertinent to the outcomes of our children. And it's not just about individual parents or families. The church is the one place that is supposed to offer hope, love, and forgiveness. And we're lacking this in the church because the church stance on this matter is not clear. So society is not just the people we live with, our neighbors. We're talking about the church, right? Because I'm assuming that Sally also had a community that she belonged to in the church mm -hmm. and them seeing her being absent from church should have should have uh, questions should have rung in their head that oh Sally's pregnant what has happened what could have the church stepped in to do what could have the family stepped in to do because the bible tells us itself that we have all fall, we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of god right it means that we all need grace we all need love yes having a child out of wedlock is frowned upon but these young girls and these women need grace and love they have sinned, yes. They've done something that is against our normal terms of wunu and cultural norms. But until when are we going to punish our children? Because the word of God is saying that we are also imperfect. We all received grace and love, right? We have all done our fair share of bad deeds, but God always embraces us with love. So which means each and every day, we are all falling short of the glory but God's love and mercy is abundant and available to pick us up from where we are and to take us forward. So what are we doing as a people and as a collective? What we are doing is we are creating a society of brokenhearted people. And the word of God says God is dear and near to the brokenhearted. So which means God is full of love, he's full of mercy, and he's full of forgiveness. And he loves us through our flaws. He loves these brokenhearted young teens. But what are we doing as a community? We are stepping out and shunning them away from the love of God. Mm -hmm. We need to understand that God shows his love to his people through people. He mm -hmm. will use people to do his work. So if we are pushing these children away, we are denying them of love. Mm, that's so good, Yvonne. So good. And, you know, it's so true. We all have our sins, and a lot of the times our sins are hidden. And so we think that we can sit there and point fingers and laugh at other people and make faces and gossip about them. 
simply because our own personal sins are in the dark, which is crazy. And even within the church, you know, there's so many myths that we need to address so that we can stop this nonsense of sweeping our shortcomings under the rug and all this in an effort to chase the image of perfection. Imagine in an imperfect and broken world. <laughs> I mean, the Bible says that the only perfect person who was ever, ever on the earth was Christ. And yet we still want to portray this image of perfect. Really? That's crazy. And even if you're not looking from a Christian perspective, right? Maybe you don't believe in God or whatever it is. You've got eyes. You are a member of the human race. You can look around in the community that you live in, in the country, in the city that you live in, the world at large. People are not perfect, period. And there are so many different things true. in the world that, is that show us how broken the world is, that show us how flawed okay. as humans we are, even the seemingly most perfect person in the world. There is something that's not ah. 100% there. And so that is so true. I got a bit I got a bit carried away there but bringing it back to the conversation about the church, right? I was saying there's so many myths that are there that help to drive the silence around sex, that help to drive the negative ways in which church members then deal with sexuality and young people or teenage pregnancy, right? So we have such ideas that teenagers in the church are not having sex, really? Or that teenagers in the church are not <laughs> falling pregnant. They're not getting abortions. That's a lie. And this is only because it's being hidden. Someone okay. gets that abortion before you can see. Or someone falls pregnant and oh. they stop coming to church. And I so grew true. up with someone who she fell pregnant um, just after we finished high school. So she was 18. And she shared a story of how, you know, God is the thing that helped her get through her pregnancy. And she used oh, to try and yeah. go to church still. But the eyes, the judgment that came from the people oh. within the church were absolutely crazy. And so she had to deal with that. When in a space that she feels like she's drowning and the only person she can hold on to Jesus, she goes into what's supposed to be his house. And the fellow children in there, not literal children, but <laughs> God's children, are giving her side eyes. Yeah. And these are adults. Oh. And if adults can do it, their children can certainly learn from it and respond in the same way. Another myth is that mm -hmm. the church should not engage in these conversations because sex is sacred. Mm. We have a whole book in the Bible that talks about sex and not sex as, you know, yes. something that we should dish out willy nilly, but sex is something beautiful. Yes, in the context of marriage, but my point is if the Bible can talk about sex, the church surely 
can talk about sex. It's a part of life that we cannot run away from. That's right. And another myth is that the That's church right. has nothing to offer or doesn't have people with the necessary background to help, or the church is too small to help people talk teenagers deal with unplanned pregnancy. Or in some cases, it's just, as our church, it's not our, it's not our issue. It's not our problem. It's a problem wow. for society. It's a problem for politicians. We have nothing to do with this. That's but really... You know, Shamiso, it's it's so strange that I find these myths so silly. If you're going to ask me my own personal opinion, it's so silly because we are failing to address the matters here. I, I think I think I know that some church doctrines say we choose not to talk about certain topics or they choose to skate around it in um, in in the way of trying to preserve to have purity to have. A, a conversation that makes sense maybe if we're going to say that but what I want to challenge is that we can no longer skate around these matters we've already shared statistics earlier on that it's showing us that this is something that we cannot just close our eyes and wish away it is happening right in front of us and we can no longer ignore it because I believe the church has a voice and the church has a place for these women so just to tackle one of these myths is the one about the church has nothing to offer and does not have people with necessary background to help. I think this is a complete lie. We have people in our churches. We have, like you were saying, the young girl you were, you were describing who literally found help in the church, who literally found comfort coming to Jesus with her, uh, with her issues. And she found comfort in the church, but it's the community around that was judging her. The same people who call themselves Christians. So we find that there are so many young teen moms like this girl in particular that you mentioned who are going through the same experience and who are now older, who are in our communities. Maybe they've switched churches. Now they go to a different church. And these issues are happening all around them, but they cannot rise up to talk about them because of the shame and the embarrassment they felt before. So we are not providing a home for these women to fully express themselves and to help them translate their stories to help these young girls. Mm. We have people. There is no way we can say we don't have resources. Well, not just us having people who have the experience that have been gone through, that have gone through this experience. But what do we have as a church? We have Jesus, don't we? Mm. We carry Jesus. We have the Holy Spirit, don't mm. we? Right? We, we, we have everything that everyone else out there who is broken, who is in need of questions and answers wants. Because you know what? Problems gather around their solution. Mm. And also... To just combine this um, uh, little argument I'm trying to create here is that the one that said, the other myth that says some churches are too small to help teens with unplanned pregnancies. There's no such thing as a small church. There is no such thing because the church, we, we, we are so used to defining the church as a building. We're so used to defining the church as the thousands of people that gathered. Mm -hmm. But COVID-19 showed us that the church is not a building. Mm -hmm. The church is not the thousands. You are the church. Yeah. So you as the church, as a body of the church, as a part of the body of the church, what are you doing? Because mm -hmm. you do have capacity. You have someone you know, or you have a cousin, you've got a sister, you've got someone you know somewhere, somehow in your community who's going through this, that you can reach out to and show them the love of Christ. Mm -hmm. You can do that. Mm -hmm. You are a church yourself. Mm -hmm. You know what it means to love. Mm -hmm. 
You know what grace means in your life. You know what it means to forgive. And he embraced you in love. So how then do we say we do not have resources? We are just ignorant to what we have. We are just ignorant to what we carry. And we are ignorant to the resources all around us. And we are ignorant to those who are in need of love. The church is the one place where we are supposed to, supposed to find hope and love, but people are finding conflict, judgment, and resentment in the church because we are not doing our jobs. We are Christians on paper, but we are not Christians who are truly for the gospel of Jesus Christ. He came to set the captives free, to heal the brokenhearted. That is our mandate as a church. We are here to set captives free. We are here to heal brokenhearted people by showing them love so i believe the church has a capacity to do this so dr shami before i get carried away <laughs> um tell us a little bit about the myths about any of these myths that presented that were pre that we have presented right now that you might have incurred um in your studies and in you engaging with these young women um what particularly stood out for you that um that was like the core of your research if we should say that. Okay, so for me, I would say this idea that the church should not be having conversations around sex. Um, there's a lot of silence as far as sex is concerned. And so these young people are just doing things quietly. No one's addressing any questions they have. No one is helping them navigate the terrains of temptation or just trying to figure out, like, how do I deal with my body when I'm experiencing these things? And I have no idea why yeah. the church tries to pretend like sexual desires don't exist. They do. Mm. It's biological. Yes. It's not that I'm choosing True. to have them. Maybe there are ways that I can, that I can deal with those desires or help to decrease them uh, for example the content that I listen to the things that I watch the people I surround myself with and these are all lessons that the church could share but they don't uh -huh. it's just sex is a sin uh -huh. don't do it and so when people have questions uh -huh. and they would love to turn to the church as a Christian person they can't and so who do they turn to uh -huh. <laughs> they turn to the world and they start getting their information oh. from the world instead of from yes, the right. church, which is supposed to be, you know, their anchor as young Christians. And even just expanding on oh. this issue of silence within the church, it's not just that there is silence for um, young unmarried people. There's silence oh. sometimes even when it comes to marriage. Or at least, or, or if not silence, they right. then expect you to change the messaging quickly. So, for example, um, there's a study that I was a part of where we were looking at uh, young people, married and unmarried, who chose to yes. wait for marriage or are choosing to wait for marriage um, to have yeah. sex. And this one lady, she's married now, she's been married for, I think, about 10 years said that yes. she struggled when she got married because sex, mm. the message around sex was always, as I said, it's a sin, don't do it. 
And so now when she got married, it's like, okay, yesterday I wasn't married. So sex was a sin. All of a sudden I wake up today and I'm supposed to undo years of wiring that have made me feel negatively about sex. And all of a sudden I'm supposed to enjoy this experience as a married woman. And her and her husband struggled with that. And they had to find ways to work around it and navigate that difficulty where it's like, ah, okay, I feel kind of bad because, you know, we're engaging in sexual things, but you're married. It's supposed to be something that's amazing. And so the church definitely needs to, where they do have conversations around sex, they need to change the approach, not just for the sake of young people who are unmarried and are trying to navigate through sex and sexual desires and things of the nature, but for the sake of people when they get married as well and the impact that this could potentially have on their marriages. And, you know, Yvonne, um, I'm just going to digress a little bit. You spoke about how Christians are Christians on paper and we're not Christians in our hearts. Yes. And that, that for me hit home because if we're saying we are Christians, if we're saying we love God, we have the love of God in our hearts, is that love not supposed to pour out automatically? And if it's not pouring out automatically, what are we doing? Are we actually Christians? Do we actually have his love inside of us? If we're more concerned about our reputation, that right there is pride. That's what it is. Uh It is pride for me to to want to stand here and say, I'm perfect. My family is perfect. I've raised perfect children be it in the context of sex, be it in the context of their career, um, be it in the sense that they're able-bodied, they are healthy mentally, physically, emotionally, whatever it is. It is pride that stops us from acknowledging that something is wrong. There is a form of imperfection there. And what does the Bible say about pride? That's true. (laughs) Pride cannot coexist with love, especially in this context. It cannot. Mm-hmm. You know, it's those, those are some difficult questions, Dr. Shami, that we as a people, as a Christian community, really need to think about. We really need to think about those questions. And if the word of God says that God is love, So if my father is love, then I'm a product of love, then I should be loved. So love should lead in everything that I do. Not pride, love. Because there is no way in the Bible where it is described that God is prideful. No. There is no way. No way in the Bible. He is a God of mercy. He is a God of love. So that is what we are supposed to be to the community and to the people and to all those around us. People should experience love wherever they are around us. 
people should experience because sometimes I think we forget what really love is. We think love is buying gifts or love. Yes, it is buying gifts for some people, right? But it's the affection. You need to be a person who possesses or carries love that your presence itself brings healing to a brokenhearted person. That when you walk into a room by you just being there for this teen mom who is in the most confusing state of her life, listening to her, offering a shoulder of support, that is a form of healing. Because we think healing is like a deep thing. It's not. Sometimes it's you just listening to her. Sometimes it's you just offering a hand of help. Sometimes it's you just offering that five-minute hug that she never got from anybody else. That brings healing into someone's life. So before I get carried away again, I just want to uh, quickly uh, uh, discuss this myth before we move on to the next section about teenage pregnancy is a political matter, actually, and not for the church. Um, I I really want to challenge this thought about us saying certain things are political and certain things are for us. It's like the church is choosing it's choosing its um it's choosing its battles and saying no these battles are for us and these battles are not for us mm-hmm. there is no such thing there is no matter in this world whereby um the church or christianity is not involved mm-hmm. right so us saying that we want to eat this corner of this pie and leaving the other pie we are not doing ourselves justice mm-hmm. let's peel off that mask that we are wearing and become real yeah. and becoming real is like you seeing others the way God sees them. Because if I, if God loves me with all my imperfections, why can I not show the same thing to the next person? Mm-hmm. So we need to take off our blinders of perfection and step into a place of love. So based on all these interactions that you've had, Dr. Shani, uh, with young people, do you think that at times, the times have changed in the church, that our homes and our schools have provided an environment where young girls are free to report issues pertaining to sexual misconduct happening to them. Do you think we have created that environment, that openness for for or easy access for kids to come in and report such matters? That's an easy quest, uh, answer. Answer is no. The reason why I say that is if we have created a space where we're driving silence around conversations to do with sex. It's going to spill out whether it's sex that happens um, consensually or sexual misconduct, where uh, someone violates another person uh, sexually. Uh-huh. Because it's, it's, yeah. it's all linked to shame at the end of the day. And so we we read those excerpts at the beginning um, and in the middle of this conversation and the one was raped. The one in the first excerpt was raped. Uh And she told her mother that she was raped. But what's the mom's response? Uh Pride. We must still be able... Uh to stand up in the community we've worked so hard to have this image we can't we can't ruin it and so now if 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 i've been violated how do i come and speak out about it are you going to believe me are you going to say uh what did you do what were you wearing what were you saying to this person you must have said something and this is all in an attempt to, 
to sometimes downplay someone's experiences, you know? Oh. And so yeah. I don't think we've created um, that environment where people can feel free to come and to talk about things, even where they've been violated in some African contexts. You'll find stories where rape happens within the family, but do we report this person who has raped? No. The response is to protect the family name. And so what do we do? We quiet the victim. And sometimes people don't even then confront the perpetrator because we can't have the community knowing that we have this type of person in our family. And who suffers at the end of the day? It's this child who still has to continue seeing that person at family functions, who has to pretend like everything is okay. And this is in your own home. Right. Imagine your parents saying that to you. You can't go and report. It will look bad on the family. Or sometimes they don't even believe these young people. Yeah. So I, I don't I don't think we have created spaces um, for reporting. You know, from what you just said, um, I can actually see how the interconnectedness of church, home, and community works in the whole circle of Hono. So what's happening is we as a people are choosing image over stigma. Mm-hmm. So we cannot be we cannot be associated with such. It cannot be part of our community. Yeah. So we choose to protect this perfect image, and we choose to silence this topic it should it cannot be discussed it's because manoyo in a teens so what we do we protect the image of perfection and we choose to throw our children under the bus so we choose to say we weigh out image or stigma you know instead of walking through the stigma to send out a message to the community that it is okay right? It is okay. And we as a family have chosen and get gathering the community to start thinking in a certain way or directing the discussion in a certain way that, listen, this child is nothing without you. So yes, we're going to bring her to the church. And we are saying that she is still part of this community and the church accepting her. That's the second connection. And then the community then coming in and saying, Kuti, you know what? We need to do better with our children. They've made mistakes, but what can we do to help those coming behind mm-hmm. them, right? That's when the community comes in. So this is the chain reaction of the, how interconnected, interconnected we are mm-hmm. in everything that we do. So we cannot choose the other and ignore the other because stigma, stigma still arises in this whole uh, situation because whether you choose to do the right or the wrong thing, stigma is still there. Whether you're choosing to protect your image, your, your child will always be remembered because ah, I can't meet this one. Mm-hmm. It will still be there, right? But we can, we can take over that narrative of that story by choosing to interpret it in a different mm-hmm. way, by choosing to take the difficult path of love, mm-hmm. acceptance 
of then the church embracing these people and the church being the exact place what it, it is always supposed to be a place of hope a place of healing a place where even the lowest of the lowest can come to that place and still find a home yeah. right and the community of what we knew we used to know back in the olden days where we were still one people it was we could never discuss like our we would not hang out our dirty laundry outside we would find a way of preserving and protecting the dignity of the people so it's that that we need to start thinking about in terms of teenage pregnancy that you know what either way the stigma is going to be there but we can choose to write the narrative in a different way because these children like you highlighted before are stigmatized in their own society, in their own home, in the school itself. So where is their safe place? Where is their safe place? Mm. So I, I think I think this is what, what we can then do as a community and as a people to to join the dots. And let's go let's go back to what we used to do, right? Mm. Let's not let our newfound image or newfound wealth or newfound positions in society wreck what we used to have as a people. Mm. Because yeah. and to provide that home, that comfort. Mm. So if we're choosing to be individuals, then how are we forming a sense of belonging in the community? Okay, so Yvonne, how important do you think it is for the church to, lead, to take care of these broken girls um, by leaving the 99 supposedly perfect girls and chasing after the one who has um, fallen and bringing them back to the love of God. You've already touched on it a little bit, but if you could go a bit deeper, that would be great. So Shamiso, my, my thoughts on this, right? When I think about leaving the 99 and chasing after the one is that, I'm reminded by, I think I'm just reminded by Jesus' love for us and how Jesus came, not only for those who have their lives together, but he came for the brokenhearted. Because in the Bible itself, we see that he spent most of his time with people who we would normally wouldn't hang out with. He was with um, tax collectors. He was with women of questionable behaviors. And all of that. And he managed to bring all of these people to the Father's light. And what really stands out for me the most is when we read 1 John 4 verse 18, it tells us that perfect love casts out all fear. So the fear these young girls have of committing sin or kurasa wunu, if we were going to talk about that in that context, right? Creating crippling thoughts in them. So whether they will be accepted by society or not, or whether they can be then rehabilitated and brought back into society, can they regain their dignity after having a child out of wedlock or after having a child in their teens? Can they still be accepted? So we as a church and a community need to embrace the, embrace them in perfect love, the perfect love that we actually got from Jesus Christ, which was given to us by his blood. His blood made us perfect. His sacrifice on that cross made us perfect. So therefore, if we understand this grace, we can then be loved to these to these young girls. We can then chase after the one that has gone astray, embrace them in that love because we have understood what it has done for us. It's like when you understand that, uh, perfect love casts out all fear 
and we need to understand that the, at the moment that this teen um, gets to find out that she's pregnant, the first thing that comes to her mind is fear. Mm. Fear of the unknown. Fear of will I be accepted? Fear of I'm about to lose the love that I've had all my life mm. up until now. So if we can understand this concept of how perfect love casts out all fear, how we've been perfected, not by our own thoughts or our perfectness or anything that we have done, but through the blood of Jesus and through his sacrifice on the cross and through God's unending love, we will find it easy to embrace the one that has gone astray, to chase after the one and bring them back when we make them understand that, listen, we are all made perfect by the blood of Jesus. Yes, you've done wrong. Mm -hmm. Yes, this has happened to you. Yes, it might be unfair, depending on the circumstances. But we are saying that this is your place where you can find healing. And you can be perfected by not my own love, mm -hmm. but the love that I have understood that I got from Jesus, mm -hmm. that I'm just pouring out to you. And I just really love, Yvonne, um, what you've been drumming on this entire episode that we are products of his love and we are products of his mercy. And so if we don't have love within us, what is that saying about us as Christians? Again, I ask, are we really Christians if we don't have his love? And the truth is we are nothing without the community that supports us. We are nothing without the people around us that give us a sense of belonging. And so as Africa to the world, um, we're going to go ahead and raise a call to action. And this is for every single one of us to share a word of encouragement and love with a loved one who has gone through or is going through such an experience. Let us pick up a piece of cloth and needle and patch up the broken garments that these girls are wearing and clothe them in love and kindness, bringing healing to one girl at a time. And to just end that, it reminds me of 1 John 3, a verse in 1 John 3 seems like Yvonne were on the same wavelength with this one John thing. But it says, Dear children, let us not love with words and speech, but with actions and in truth. So as a Christian, are you just claiming that you have love? Or are you displaying love to others as well? Phew, this has been a life-changing conversation for me. And thank you very much, uh, Shami, for that um, verse in First John. Are we really truly being love? Or is it just an expression we say with our, our mouths and we actually don't mean it with our hearts? I pray this conversation has been challenging you or it has challenged you in a, in a way to start thinking about these matters differently or rethinking your behavior. So we would like to hear from you on this matter. Any questions or comments, you can catch us on our Facebook page, Africa to the World. Feel free to engage with us and 
let us know. If you have experiences you want to share with us, if you have friends and family who have gone through this similar matter and you'd like to tell us your experience, feel free to engage with us on our Facebook page. And before we close off the show, I'd like to do a little call out for teen moms who are looking for a safe place to find support, love and healing or to make sense of the situation that they may be going through. We have a project that we are running called Project Zoe and that you can find our find us on our Facebook page, Project Zoe, that's Project Z-O-E. Um, you can inbox us, you can uh, find our details there for any assistance or any safe place. If you are in need of a safe place, if you are in need of support, you can get in contact with us on the Facebook page called Project Zoe. So thank you very much for tuning in and listening with us and following with us on this conversation. We hope to see you soon and to engage with you very soon on this conversation. <laughs>